Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right, friends. Well, we are, uh, Adia, I got good news. We are starting a new series, uh, and it's called We Are. Every couple years, we try um, re, what's the right word, like re-clarifying uh, what kind of church we are. We well, often will go through our values, um, and today we're going to talk about, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about um, when people say, well, what kind of church is neighborhood church? How would you answer that other than the only God-ordained church, right, Sarah? Thank you. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's important to clarify because you can spend a lot of time clarifying who you are as an individual by all the things you're not, right? That's the low-hanging fruit. Well, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. And you can do the same thing as a church. If you had a positive experience or maybe you had a negative experience, you say, well, at least we're not like blah, blah, blah. It takes more energy, and I'd say it's more productive to clarify who you are and maybe who you want to be and how you can do that on purpose. And so I have this conversation with a lot of people, um, of people saying, well, what kind of church are you? And most of them are really, um, what's the right word, honest, right? Some people say, well, what kind of church are you? And I'm like, all right, here, buckle up. So, um, uh, and the three things, and we might do a fourth, but for sure the three things, and you can find this on our website, is I would say that we are a progressive community, we are an inclusive community, and we're a Jesus-looking community, which the third one, imagine this, is my favorite. Um, and so uh, a progressive community. With that word, people give me a, a, a confused look because with that word, it carries emotion. And when you have words that carry an emotion and those emotions can define the word instead of the actual definition, you have, um, uh, you're swimming in some muddy waters, right? So like the word that is highly uh, emotional is politics, right? You'd be like, uh, um, let, let's not get political. Oh, they're so political. Or the word religion, right? Religion. If I was at the party, I'd be like, let's party. <laughs> I was, let's just back off from politics. It's because. since the 80s, right? And I'm, I'm not picking one party over the other, but politics has become this thing of where uh, we might take in, uh, inalienable rights from people, right? Or we take things to give to a small group of people at the expense of a large group of people. And politics can be incredibly personal. And when you use it as a weapon against someone else, when you use it as an us versus them, I'm right, you're wrong, then it gets really messy. Then the emotion dictates the word. We're really... Like you um, woke up hey, water's pretty dope. We should have it available for everyone. And maybe it should be safe and maybe it should be clean, right? So there's regulations. You can drive on a road. Everywhere. But then we say, well, I don't want to talk about it because it's such an emotionally charged word. Same thing with religion. 
do. And why? Because maybe with um, uh, my therapist all about uh, religious and church trauma. Um, and I didn't know that I was in a system Other people, not pastors, huh, right? Me too, right? And so when you're in a system that maybe caused you violence or caused you harm or caused you shame, and you all of a sudden religion is not just about that experience, or that religion then isn't about the be- someone who does this professionally, there's a lot of people with church uh, tra- church trauma or a lot of negative feelings about church. And if you're one of those people who like grew up and you, you, you got to miss all that, right? Like you are a, a beautiful, oh, you are all beautiful people, but that is a special, that is a special thing. But what religion is, it, it, religion's hard to define, but it's a collective group of people with some similar values. Right? And that is a beautiful thing to do. I've given my life to do it. But when you use that word, people back off. And I'd say when you use the word progressive, it is, uh, it is, is similar, especially if you grew up um, in a more conservative, fundamental, evangelical um, community like I did. Um, I grew up in my formative years. I grew up in a very conservative, fundamental, evangelical church, similar uh, Bible college. We couldn't dance at our college, right? That was like that was in the Bible. <laughs> Carly, is this new to you? This, oh, buckle up! We couldn't we couldn't have DVDs in our room, in our dorm rooms, and you, because you couldn't watch rated R movies. Yeah, you know I'm gonna get honest, right? This is one thing. You couldn't dance. Have I said this live before about the dancing? You couldn't dance, but there was one uh, gal who danced professionally for the Timberwolves, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why does she get the dance, but I don't get the dance? She was a lot better at it than I was. But um, where was I going? Oh, so I was in a very conservative, and by fundamental, uh, the, when I use that word, um, fundamental, whatever that rule is or that belief or that theology or that inclusion, it is like one of the most critically important things. And there's ways to get in. And there's a lot of ways to get out, right? And that might be uh, converting. It might be saying a prayer. It might be giving a certain amount of money. It might be um, that you don't buy these products. It might be you don't listen to these bands or you listen to these bands or you worship this way. There's a lot of different rules. But everyone knows who's in and who's out, who's good, and most importantly, who's bad, right? And that was my upbringing. And I'd say um, from a lot of... uh, people who were formerly evangelical, that's a very common experience. Um, oh, I know where I'm going now. So I was just buying time. So in, in, that, in that conservative um, circles that I ran in, uh, the word progressive was incredibly emotionally charged. I, I, I remember one time um, I, oh, and I worked in a fundamental evangelical conservative denomination for 12, 13 years. They just had better music than other churches, right? And, and they did, and they are still to this day doing some really, really good things. So I'm not saying like one is bad and one is like one's better than the other. It's just you approach it in different ways. I'll get there in a second. But I remember when I worked in that denomination, I um, talked with one of my coworkers, and I just, this is 2000, 
2006, 2007, um, and I read an article that maybe, Jeff, that science might be true, and maybe evolution could be something that is credible and does not displace faith. Like, maybe they can, just this crazy idea, maybe those could coexist. And little Chris Sauter's brain, which at the time was, like, convinced the world is only 6,000 years old, and um, Ken Ham was my homeboy, right, and Answers in Genesis. So, um, uh, and I, I said that to my coworker, and they said, wow, that's really interesting, but Chris, if, if they can redefine the Bible to fit their idea, then where else are they going to re- redefine the Bible to fit their agenda? They said, be wary of progressives. And it was the first time, uh, the first time I can remember, where the idea of progressing into a new way of thinking or into a, a new truth or a new idea felt a th- like a threat to my belonging. Right? Anyone else been there before? It does not have to be a spiritual community to feel like, oh, what if I'm different from my family? Or what if I, um, I, I, the way I identify myself is different than my family? And it felt scary. It was the first time I'm like, oh, I better keep my mouth shut on some things, right? And it's true, because you want to survive. Belonging is so, especially in a fundamental experience, when you find your belonging is tied to a belief or to an idea or a way of showing up, it's funny how you can compromise really quickly because you want to keep that sense of community. I remember people coming up to me and I'd say like, oh, I'm reading Rachel Held Evans, who's one of my favorite authors. Um, or um, when I first read anything by um, uh, Rob Bell, and people would be like, woo, Chris, hey, slow down, it's a slippery slope. And where I uh, bumped into people, the idea of thinking something outside of the traditional was a threat because in a conservative circle, the, wor- the way that I'm using to define conservative is like this. It means that you conserve, right? There is a tradition. There is a way of being. There's a way of believing. There's values. There is uh, ways that you have understood maybe the Bible or you understood what is true or what is holy. And conservative people are open to change, but they're not always looking for that change. They're very content. This has worked for us. This tradition has, and we have to, like, defend this way of being. And I'm not saying that's bad. Where I'd say um, progressives would say we're aware of the past, but the past does not need to define who we are moving forward, always. There's a lot of things that that we hold on to that are good and beautiful, but we're open to new ideas. We're not afraid of something new. We're not afraid that maybe science might come along and say, what if the world's like billions of years old? It's like, oh, new way of being, new way of knowing, new way of showing up. But so often, wherever you identify, right, um, you can look at the other group of people and say, what's wrong with you? <laughs> right? Catch up. And I, I, I don't want to spend any more of my energy doing that, yet I still do. Because I don't believe that if you identify more as a conservative than that you're some wrong or some less than, I, 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 I should, yes, I, I would appreciate more conservative voices in my life. I really, a lot of the people that I connect and inspired by are very, very progressive, and I appreciate that because that's how I identify. But I also want to learn from people who have a different approach of viewing the Bible or viewing God or viewing life. And, and I, I say because you can take the fundamental piece, and you could take that same circle from a conservative evangelical, you could pick it up, and you could dump it on your progressive church. 
You can dump it on your group of friends. You can dump it in your workplace. And all of a sudden, you can have the same toxic energy towards another group anytime you say we're better than you or we're righter than you're right. Right? And I, don't, I just don't want that energy anymore. So when I use the word conservative or progressive, I'm not saying one is better than the other. But it's time for me to confess because I thought this would be good. Um, I don't want to do it, but I find myself still doing it. Uh, this past week, I was on this thing uh, we call a dumpster fire called Facebook, and I saw this statement that a parent made about their kid. And it was a statement maybe five, seven years ago that I would have used for my own kids. And at that time, it made me feel really good. It gave me a sense of belonging, gave me a sense of grounding, and it gave me a, a, like a, a way of like reassuring myself that God is in control and something like that. It felt really good. And I read that, and, and where I'm at now is that statement is like, doesn't hold as much water or weight for me anymore. But I read it, and I, I don't think I roll my, I don't think I roll my eyes a lot. Do I? Probably more than I think. All right, all right, well, great. More self-awareness. <laughs> um, but I literally like roll my eyes, and I said, oh, brother. <laughs> like I was on a sitcom. <laughs> oh, that hurts. Okay, um, and I caught myself, not only eye-rolling and saying a really dumb statement, but I felt the judgment that came with it. And I thought, I'm like, what am I doing? This statement is not evil. This statement is not like, I can't believe you'd say that. It's not full of heresy. It's just a statement. And it's not good or bad. It's just different. But in that space, different felt like a threat to me. Different felt like time to judge this, play, this person and judge a statement. And where have we gotten where different is evil or different is out? Like, I, I believe as a progressive church, and we're going to talk about this next week as an inclusive community, different is where we should maybe live. Different is maybe where we should kind of, like, expect. And it not being bad, but it might be make us better. So why, why are we a progressive church? And I'd say because uh, I think Jesus, and I'd say God, um, is incredibly progressive in the sense that there is something new to be experienced, there's something new to be embodied, that there's this infinite wildness to what we call, what we describe as God. And here's how I can, I can uh, share with you. Is uh, Jesus had a central message, and the central message was the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, Jesus says in Mark, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And the kingdom of God would be like something that would be heavenly. The kingdom of God would be something in the fullness of the human experience. And he says, it's not somewhere else. It's not with someone else. It's right in front of you. If you awaken to this reality, repent simply means to move. If you can move to this reality and believe that it's truly good, that kingdom of God will be, is all around you, Right? And there's something new in this kingdom. And Jesus would point to this kingdom over and over and over again. He'd say things, I don't mean to point at you. I just mean to say, and you, and you, and you. Um, kingdom of God. And so they, uh, um, Jesus said multiple times, he said, you, you've known it this way. You've heard it this way. And now I'm saying there's a new way. Right? Uh, you've heard it before, eye for an eye. And now I'm saying, turn the other cheek. Jesus is saying, there's a way of existing. There's a way of thinking, there's a way of believing, there's a way of belonging, and Jesus never mocks it, Jesus never shames it. He says, that worked for you. That's, that was great, which that's the whole book of Romans, essentially. This once worked for you, hey, but what if there's like something wider, something more expansive? What if there's this, this, this 
deeper way of understanding what it means to be holy, what it means to be sacred. Jesus does this with miracles. Jesus does this by telling people, hey, this system only benefited a few. What if it could like benefit all, not just a few? Jesus over and over again is saying there is this new way of being. Oh, man. John 5, um, uh, Jesus says, I'm only going to do what the Father is doing. I'm only going to do what, what God is doing. And God is at work all the time. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to do this stuff. And what's the stuff? Bringing the reality of the kingdom of God. Bringing the reality of the expansiveness of this God. But then he says, and you're going to do even more things than me. So whatever I'm doing, you're going to do like incredibly more. At the end of John, John says, is it John? I'm pretty sure it's John. John says, um, and all the things that Jesus did and said and the things he taught, we couldn't contain in all these libraries, right? So John is saying, hey, whatever you heard, there is so much more. There's so much more to be discovered. There's a newness. I mean, even the incarnation, right, is Jesus himself is saying, I am something new, and I'm inviting you into that newness. So this idea of progress, this idea of, of expanding into these new things never felt like a threat to Jesus. But the story I'm going to tell you today or read to you today um, is one where Jesus is usually the, the guy, like he's a rabbi, right? And so he goes around and he's like, I'm going to blow your mind. Listen to this, right? He, he's going to do these things. There's, well, there's probably more, but I can only remember one time, Matthew 15, where Jesus becomes the student and an unlikely character becomes the teacher. And... Um, I'm not, I'm not going to give away. I just, I love this story. So this is, I think we have it on, on the screen too. This is Matthew 15 in the NIV, starting verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew, withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came down and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. All right, there's so much happening here. We have, um, Jesus is what I, I believe is a historical person. And if you are a person growing up at a specific time in a specific location with a, a specific culture, you're going to be a byproduct of that culture, right? And part of this culture is um, not all good, right? Uh, this is a very patriarchal society. This is a group of people, the Hebrew people, that are in oppressed regions. So, like, their loyalty, their identity to their people is fierce and it is strong, right? We'd call that, like, you have pride in your nation or pride in your, in your group of people. And we can see that Jesus is moving in this cultural, um, like, uh, what we, cultural reality, right? In the same way, uh, where you grew up and the family you grew up with, there's probably things that your parents said or your parents' friends said or, like, the older kids in your school said, and you just assume, hey, we all talk this way. This is a very healthy, normal way of talking until you meet someone else, and they're like, you can never use that word ever again, right? I grew up in um, Heaven on Earth called Carlton, and uh, class of 99, you're welcome, and Carlton um, lives right next to the Fond du Lac um, Travel res res Reservation, and 
there was words that um, people in our school and people in my life used to talk about indigenous people. They would use to talk about the license plates of um, indigenous people had, and they would make, oh, that's a blah, blah, blah. And so I just assume we all say that. You can tell where this story is already going. Until I was talking to someone, I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they looked at me, and they're like, why would you ever say that? And I had no idea that what I was saying was incredibly racist, right? My bias got exposed. My racism got exposed. And I had to change and pivot. The same thing is happening here with Jesus. This woman is doing what any parent would do. She believes that her daughter has a demon, right? And that this, the demon is causing great pain and suffering. And so what do parents do when their kids are in pain? When you think that your kid might die, you're going to do what? Whatever it takes. And here's this woman screaming at Jesus because that's what you do when your kid is dying. And why Jesus? Um, one way of thinking is that she probably heard that Jesus could talk to demons, he was the demon whisperer, right? There were stories of Jesus, like, setting people free from demons, healing them. And so where do you go when a demon's in someone you love? You go to the one who can speak to the demons. She shows up, and she's screaming so much, the disciples just say, Jesus, just please get rid of this crazy woman. And so Jesus essentially yells back at her and says, yeah, no, no thank you, right? I'm, I'm here for the people of Israel. And she's like, please help me. She pleads again, and he says, um, why would I give any of this bread to dogs? Which that is a racial slur. That'd be an ethnic slur. And why? Because imagine Jesus growing up probably heard people talking about the Canaanites, right? The Canaanite, there's intersectionality here. Um, the Canaanites were like um, whatever town you grew up in and you said like the water rolls down to them because you're like, at least we're not like Hermantown. That was a shot at Dietrich. So. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, whatever you think your town is, there's someone who's better than you, and they, they think that way about your town, so naturally you have to kick down to that town. And that would be the Canaanites. And also that she's a woman. And also that uh, she has a kid that is suffering with a demon, which would mean that she's ceremonial, uh, she'd be unclean. And there's no mention of a dad. So there's all these ways of thinking about who this woman is that someone like Jesus, a rabbi, and the disciples would never associate with. But she doesn't care. And when Jesus calls her a dog, in other translations it said that she quickly responded. And she, and she said, but even the dogs need the crumbs from the table. And Jesus, in that moment, has this awakening. Jesus has an opportunity to find some progress. Because she says, she holds up a mirror and saying, is this the kind of man that you want to be? Do you want to pick on me, a desperate mom who just wants to help their kid? And you want to throw slurs at me? Is this really who you've always imagined you want to be? And Jesus responds differently. Because he could respond and say, hey, 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 hey. I have a lot of Canaanite friends, all right? Like, I went to college, the Canaanite, so settle down. I listened to a podcast by a Canaanite. I traveled there once in the spring, right? That, that's, that's how a lot of people respond. I'm not racist. I'm not, I'm not homophobic. I'm not transphobic. I, this is a very common one. I'm not sexist. I'm just telling jokes, right? And you could have said, uh, do you know who I am? Like, you, you see the sandals? You see the Gucci? I got the drip. I've never heard of the manual. Yeah, you're looking at them, right? Get in line. 
He doesn't power up. What does he do? He recognizes, I can do better. It was not a threat to him. And this is what I love about Jesus, because Jesus is incredibly human. And what do humans do? Jesus is showing, this is what it means to be human, is when you get your bias exposed, when you get racism exposed, when you get, uh, you have an opportunity to do better and be better, even Jesus himself does it. And this is the hard thing. People, a lot of people who um, take, this is one interpretation, take this interpretation that Jesus used an ethnic slur, they can't because they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is without sin. Jesus is holy. And if, if there's any blemish to the Christ, then the cross, the resurrection, it doesn't equate. Our sins aren't then paid for. He, he, here's my counter argument to that. When have we ever, or why have we associated um, holiness with perfection? And I say this a lot because I, I need to remind myself. The idea of being holy, being perfect, does not equate, right? Because you've had divine moments. You've had holy moments. And, like, what's the most beautiful meal that you've ever had? The most sacred holy meal that you've ever had? I highly doubt that it was because it was perfect, that there was no errors. It wasn't like the recipe they, they waited all to the ounce and everyone took their shoes off at the place you're supposed to take the shoes off, that no one snuck anything into the house, that everyone showed up on time and everyone wore the right clothing and everyone said all the appropriate words and laughed at crazy Uncle Gary's jokes at the right time, right? They all brought their $5 subway cards. Like, they, like it wasn't because everything was, like, there was a lack of um, imperfection. For me, the, one of my favorite meals is when we go to Thanksgiving at my sister's house, and there's... 40, 50 people in a small little house. It is so hot. You, you can't, once you sit down, you can't move because they want, everyone wants to sit at a table, right? And it's so loud and kids are running around and there's like a kid's table Then we feel guilty there's a kid's table where they should be with us, but then we're glad that there's a kid table because they're not with us. There's all these, right, just being honest, there's all these, th- these moving um, figures and it's not perfect. It's far from perfect. But it feels holy because it's the fullness of the people I love most in the world. And we're at one table, clicking glasses, telling the same stories, pretending that we can hear one, other, hear one another, right? And uh, honestly, it's one of the most holy, one of the most holy uh, meals that I look forward to every other year. And this is Jesus. Jesus, it's not perfect. Jesus says you, you can have bias exposed. You, you should have those things exposed. And it's not a sin. It's not horrible. It's not evil that you don't hit a home run every time. It's what are you going to do with it? And to me, this is what it means to be a progressive community. We might not have all the answers. Like, we don't need to look at the Bible and say there is no errors in this Bible. There is a lot of errors in the Bible. And that doesn't make it a threat that it's bad or evil. We don't need to copy and paste and put in our life and say, well, the Bible says it, I believe it. I think we should take the Bible incredibly seriously, but not always literally, and look at it as a way of those people who are inspired by God and learn from it and then find, hold those to be true and then continue to find ways to be inspired by God. That the word of God is not limited to Paul, right? It's not limited to a group of men. The word of God is alive, and every time that Sarah tweets out something hilarious, right? The Word of God plays out in Jamie. The Word of God plays out in you, Annika. The Word of God is playing out in the way you draw, in the way you play, the way you talk, the way you inspire, the way you lead. It is alive, and it's living. If that's true, then we can move in this world without being afraid of what's to come. 
I would say progressive church is the idea of new things, new embodiments, is, is exciting. And if that's true, then we can do, we, we've done really hard things as a church. Like, do, I mean, those who started from the beginning, we used to, when we planted in 2015, yeah, 2015, we'd spend an hour and a half loading, uh, getting the stuff out of a truck and wheeling it into a gym and a cafeteria every single Sunday. Maybe two hours. I mean, Dietrich would show, the winters would show up, I don't know. We, we did it every Sunday. It was a group of 40 of us that would do it, setting up everything. Coffee bar took, where's Misha? It took us way too long. Do you remember that? And, but we had like 400 people that wanted coffee, so you, ha- you had to be there. And people were sweating. People would hit their head on that stupid crossbar. Oh, anyways. <laughs> and wh- why did we do it? Because we believed there was something life-giving and gathering with one another, looking each other in the eyes and saying, you belong here. We, we believed that there was a good and beautiful God that wanted good and beautiful things for us, and we had an hour each week to remind each other of that. But then we moved into a gym, which was the most awkward experience. It was so awkward, right? Anyone who, I don't know why I'm saying this. Anyone who would come down to use the bathroom, all right, it'd be boom, 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 boom. I'm going to use the restroom, everybody. And my just, we should have a sign that says, oh, they're going to go pee. So, um, and then we moved back to the auditorium, and then we, then we moved here, right? We've done some really hard things because we believe we can keep showing up. Why? Because there's something new to be experienced. And we don't have to hold it the same way it's always been. And there's going to be new things coming up in the, as a church. There always is. And I believe that our faith can be grounded that we're going to continue to experience good and beautiful things. So we're a progressive church, and I love to be a part of this church. And you, you don't have to be a progressive to belong to this community. You can be, you can be ultra conservative. You can be ultra progressive as long as at the end of where we end up is love. If the receipts that you're holding of the way, you, the way your theology plays out, the way you think about God, if the end of it is that you're going to include and you're going to value and you're going to love, Sarah gave a message a while ago, and it was all about one of my favorite all time, all about, like, let's just look at the fruit. If the fruit's good, then it belongs. I believe you can hold a conservative view, and you can hold a centric view, and you can hold a progressive view if the end is love. So um, I'm going to pray, but before I do, if you have questions about, like, what does it mean to be progressive? Oh, I forgot to say this. Um, People often associate progressive then with liberal. And to me, I, I, I could separate the two, and especially if you get into politics as well, right? But most liberal theology is very progressive. But I think you can separate. I think you can separate the two. But if you'd like to talk more about that, or if you have questions, or if you're one of the million people watching online, you can hit me up um, at neighborhoodchurchmn.org. I have all my contact info on there, and I'd love to talk. If you're in the area, I'd love to grab a drink, get a cup of coffee, and process. And I, I should say this every Sunday. I am honored to be the pastor of this church. This is the kind of church I've always wanted to be, that, that me and Tom might view things differently, but we both believe there's progress to be made. And that Tom's not out and I'm not out, but we're both in because we're human. So let's pray. So God, I thank you for being so incredibly good. And I thank you th- of the example of Christ being able to be open to change and be open to learn from unlikely places and unlikely people. I pray that we can hold the same humility and we can also like hold on to the, that same sense of curiosity and wonder. 
that creativity can drive us to continue to move forward, being creative in how we show up in room, how we be our best selves, of how we grow and how we love. So I thank you for this community. I thank you for my friends here. Thank you for my friends listening online. And that we can continue to grow. We can continually find progress. Because I believe that you're inviting us into that. So we love you. Amen. All right. Thank you, friends. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.